Hello, I'm Matt Chorley and this is Politics Without the Boring Bits. Coming up on today's episode is Wednesday, so of course it's PMQ's Unpacked. Tim Shipman is back. Has he finished writing his book? We'll find out. We'll pause the action from the House of Commons as we analyse in real time the key exchange between Kiss, Starmer and Rishi Sunak and then Lama Spirit pops in with the best of the rest. Before that, on The Columnist today, Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson as we ask, are you bored of by-elections? And if you like what you hear on the podcast, don't forget you can join me for Politics About the Boring Bits live on Times Radio for free on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker or download the Times Radio app. That's Politics About the Boring Bits weekdays from 10. stuff from David uh, in Belper in Derbyshire yesterday. Uh, if you could do better than that, it won't be hard. Uh, you can WhatsApp 033-003-2353. A huge, huge day in Westminster. Everyone is talking about just one thing. Some worry that the political mudslinging is overshadowing the real victims. So today we ask, is it possible to secure an immediate, sustainable and humanitarian ceasefire in hostilities between Kemi Badenoch and Henry Staunton. The post office memo row, which has got everyone talking. More on that as we get it. Rishi Sunak is up at PMQs later. Will he be showing off his new found food facts? Things like tomatoes, you know, we're 16% self-sufficiency. is quite counterintuitive. Uh, pears, plums would be similar. Things like lettuces... I mean, you'd think the guy who lost to the woman who lost to the lettuce might steer clear of talking salads. The Columnists with Ali Burt, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton. And they're both here, of course they are. Alice Thompson's here. How are you, Alice? Uh, very keen. Just very back, keen. Yeah, back from the farmers' conference. Did you come back this morning? I came back very late last very night. Very late last night. And Robert Crampton's here. Yeah, I'm here, yeah. Dressed like a farmer. Bit for, yeah, unlike Big, Alice. Yeah, we were going to be matching, but actually, I wore my suit to the farmers and I got the gravy on it because we had, you know, <laughs> lashings of gravy. Up. Yeah, it was quite a booze up there, as you yeah, can imagine. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine farmers, yeah. Yeah. Um, because uh, I basically said you dressed up like I was wearing brown. I remember once yeah. when I worked with Western Morning News, uh, DEFRA, Department for Environment, Food and World Affairs, changed yeah. its logo because they thought it was too brown. Oh, really? <laughs> Um, what did they, they, they change it, it to? It's back. They don't do it anymore. You know, government department because it's just like the royal crest of yeah. the name now. But the good old days, government departments were always changing their logos at vast expense. Yeah, uh, and it gave us endless things to write about. I think it was like, there were some leaves. Yeah, it should changed. be like brown and green. Actually. Brown and green. Yeah, yeah, they took the brown out because they thought it was too soil yeah. orientated or something. But that's the sort of essence of farming, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, those were the days. Oh, never mind. We'll talk about. Well, let's let's talk about it now. So, why were you? Why did you go to the NFU conference yesterday? So I went yesterday because I had interviewed Minette Batters, who was mm. head of the NFU, and she was the first woman who was first the first woman deputy, and then the first woman president. And I interviewed her when she became deputy, and over the years I have, and she's kind of an extraordinary woman. In fact, although she's not political she is sort of more like margaret thatcher than anyone else i've come across she she's really 
really tough. She's a single mum with twins and she runs her own farm, gets up at 5.30 in the morning, does marathons and runs all these farmers. I mean, you know, she, she, they're, they're quite a tough bunch and they're all in awe of her, really. And she's done all the negotiations. She's had five prime ministers, seven secretaries of state. She's pretty rude about all of them, actually. It is a great read. Uh, the in the interview that she just did, she let rip because she's leaving tomorrow and, yeah. and I think she's kind of had enough because she's had a coat for 10 years with these, you know, some of them literally having no clue. Teresa Coffee, uh, she's had, you know, ones that have stayed for 45 days. None of them seem to know what they're talking Ronald about. Ronald Jairadina, yeah. lest we forget. How did, uh, well, R- I- how did Rishi go down? Well, Rishi, she said, the problem was they don't actually equate farming with food and that is the problem. And he made the mistake again. He went and talked to the National Farmers Union conference and he kept telling them how they were doing it just for the love of life and that they enjoyed being outside in their wellies and that no one really cared about the money too much. And they they were furious, the farmers, because they are a business. They're trying to get food out and they should be doing environmental stuff too, but they do have a point. They're not just wandering around having a nice time. What's so interesting (laughs) is that having interviewed Minette a lot during her tenure... She's always been, you know, she's been interesting and engaging and all that, but she's always been very polite and diplomatic and, well, you know, we're working with the government and all that. It's just so nice, actually, to discover that she has been as exacerbated as all of her members and everyone watching these things on the outside. Well, it was the Build Back Beaver speech that she really hated, I think, when Boris Johnson, that was the one thing he said about farmers was Build Back Beaver, and then he apologised to her just before he left, and she was like, you know what, you promised us that you were going to be kind to farmers, you did absolutely nothing, you sold us out, you sold us out to Australia, you sold us out to, you know, all around the world, really, that with these trade deals that did nothing for British farmers. So I think she kind of has a right to be angry, but it, it is, you're right, it's quite fun seeing her let rip suddenly. It's a bit similar to Henry Staunton, really, isn't it, this guy who's been yeah. this been this very sort of sober, quiet, uh, anonymous city grandee for all these years. But when he's poked, yeah, he, he said, "Well, I'm not having that," mm. and the, and, the, and he and he's lashing back. There was the guy as well who was the um, permanent secretary at the Home Office. Do you remember when he suddenly resigned on a Saturday morning? Yes. Oh, yeah. I forgot his name? name. That's a good pub quiz question. Yeah, I can't remember what it was about. Now it seemed very. And there, there's, the there's a chap at uh, immigration as well who's been sacked for because nobody's. Yes, yeah, David Neal. David Neal's done yeah. 15 reports None of them as the published. independent chief inspector of is it borders and immigration. If you're rich, you can just come mm. into the country without showing yeah. your passport. Philip Rutman uh, resigned. In, it, was that with Amber Rudd? Uh, and started legal proceedings, didn't he? Uh, Pretty, it was in a row with Pitty Patel mm. uh, and vowed to sue the government constructive dismissal. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, and we love it. In that, I mean, and that's what Mr. Bates versus the Post Office was about, really, wasn't it? It was about you know a quiet, quiet, law-abiding, everyman guy saying, "I'm not going to take. Yeah. I'm not going to take this anymore." What's well, yeah. extraordinary is how much they it. have taken, isn't it? So that, I, mean, yeah. I think with you know when you look at them, like people like Henry Sultan and and you know Manette Batters, they're quite straightforward people. They don't mm. want to take on the person. They don't want to have these kind of power politics. No, they don't. They want to get on with the job. And in fact, they've been pulled into it. But I think that mm. makes them more powerful, actually. I mean, in the end, I think Kemi Badnock has got a problem. Because she has. I mean, I was reading I was reading up about Henry Staunton just before coming on air from, from uh, business journalists whose opinion I trust and value. Uh, and there's, I've no doubt who I believe in this situation this uh, he seems like a very straight shooting guy i mean the, the problem because we spoke to paul scully earlier on who's a, one of the many former post office ministers and mm. he was saying well you know you're sort of silent with kemi badenuk and there's no uh, um evidence you know the evidence is all back up and the, the problem is that they have been dragging their feet mm. if you That's, speak to yes. some postmasters before and after the Alabates thing mm. they've said 
they've been dragging their feet. Mm. We haven't been getting their conversations. So, well, yeah, the evidence is that even even Mr. Bates himself was up. Yeah. I think he's been offered mm. one sixth of his losses. Uh, that's the evidence. And yeah. It does sound very plausible, doesn't it? The idea that they're hobbling into the election. They're trying to push everything along. That they they're not making any massive announcements. They're not trying no. to sort anything out much. That you know. Everything they do is like small scale, isn't it? Like banning mobile phones at school. They're not mm. saying we're going to try and sort out education. So what, I, mean, I suppose the question then is, who on earth would go into public service? Well, whether that's to run the post office. Mm. You know, the guy, Paul Scully used the phrase, a highly paid former city executive, <laughs> yeah, yeah. who then went to run a state organisation that needed sorting out only a year ago. The government mm. thought he was the right man for the job. So would you give up your, you know, end your 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 city career to go and take on a public body, or well, you might when it's, be an inspectorate you, you, or whatever. You might at seventy. I mean, he's seventy five now, yeah. so I guess he was seventy three, seventy four yeah. when he decided to do this. Uh, but you wouldn't necessarily, if you were in your prime, mm. no, is the answer to that. Also, I, mean, I think this idea that writing loads of reports for the government that they then don't publish is yeah. infuriating. I think I, I don't think I could have written fifteen reports that weren't published. I mean, it's bad enough if you do an article and it doesn't come out, isn't it? Yes, so, it is. So. The, idea that, the idea that you did 15 reports and they yeah. were all spiked does yeah. seem... So I can see why he's no. cross and he's got every right to be cross because actually what you know, he's unearthing interesting stuff that the government should be embracing, shouldn't they? They should I mean, want the, to know. The problem is, Matt, I think that it was not, it's not whether people will do these jobs anymore. It's whether good, you, mm. you know, high-powered people... There'll always be people to do these jobs because they're well-paid and they're you know, high status and all the rest of it. But I think we've seen, haven't we, a, a, a kind of uh, a lowering of ability, yeah. if you like. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying that's Henry Staunton, but we've seen people in really senior positions. I remember I interviewed Fergal Sharkey just before Christmas, yeah. and he said he met people who were incredibly senior uh, board members in, in, in some of the water companies, uh, and he was amazed at their mediocrity. He said in the music business, for instance, where you've got uh, you, you you you've got um, uh, a, a measurable, uh, a quantifiable uh, measure of your ability every week when the chart comes out. Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't last till Tuesday lunchtime because they're not very good. And so, th- what will happen is that people who run these uh, agencies and so forth on half a million quid a year and all the rest of it and massive payoffs when they cock up and have to leave. They'll just get, they, they'll be second-rate people, won't they? But it goes back to, there's a great quote in your interview with Minette Battis when she said, I assumed, uh, she's talking about ministers, she said, I assumed they would all be cleverer than me, but I couldn't mm. believe how bad some politicians are. Quite. I think that's yeah. what she really minded about, is if you look at her with the trade deal, she was all over those deals. She knew all the detail about mm. all of them. And it's not, I mean, it was part of her job, but it wasn't the whole job. And then she said, you know, the trade ministers, I mean, particularly someone like Liz Truss, who was just going around getting selfies and mm. Instagram posts, didn't know anything at all about it. And I think that mm. was the most frustrating thing for her, is that she was doing her homework. She was worried that mm. she didn't know enough because she was, you know, a farmer who hadn't been to university. And yet these people who had been highly educated weren't bothering. And I think that's what upset her so much, is the lack of care. And so these are the trade deals. So on the one hand, they were trying to raise animal welfare standards in the UK, for whether mm. it's the treating of pigs or chickens, or whatever it might be, while doing trade deals which would allow lower standards of food to come into the UK from America, particularly America. And there's another great quote, I'm just reading out your, your interview. Kwasi Kwarteng told me that he could, couldn't be a free marketeer one day and ban Morrison's from being taken over by the Americans with their chlorine chicken the next. Mm. It was all or nothing. 
So I asked him, this is Manette Batters, what would you do if a billionaire wanted to buy Stonehenge? He couldn't answer. And you think, yeah. what a brilliant... I mean, there's yeah. clearly arguments both ways there, but what a brilliant way of just tying him mm. in knots. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the other one I like was Jeremy Hunt, who's actually, you know, he's a very decent, straightforward politician, but he actually said to Manette Batters, as Chancellor, I don't know anything about farming. And mm. she was like, but you eat. You know, the idea that you just don't mm. mind announcing that you don't know also, something. he's an MP near me. There were definitely mm. farmers in his constituency. He's not like, he's not in, you know, North London. He's mm. in yeah. rural yeah. Surrey. Like and she, you know, there were loads of stuff that I think she didn't know about. She just tried to find out. I mean, what she felt yeah. was that you, know, that you do your homework. I mean, that yeah. basically was it, that they're mm. not doing enough homework, they're I'm not trying to, enough. Being willing to admit it, like Dominic Raab not, impo- not realising that Dover was quite important yeah, 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 to, yeah. Uh, you know, British imports. Yeah. Uh, you haven't you, appreciated the full extent to no, which the, Dover yeah, was quite close yeah, to Calais. Great, yeah, 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 that's a great big harbour. Yeah, yeah, and I think we do know that they work pretty hard, but when you talk to some of these other people, like, you know, Henry Sullivan is obviously working pretty hard at his job. Manette Batter's getting up at 5.30 in the morning to mm. milk the cows before she comes in, sort of. You know, that sense of, you know, everyone's working quite hard. It's not just the MPs, that they do need to be on top of their brief. That's a really good point as well, that, they, yeah, they're sort of... They, yeah, they do have jobs that lots of people wouldn't mm. want, but they're quite well paid for... Mm. It, and they ought to know what they're talking about. Uh, well, uh, somebody might not be an MP for much longer, Scott Benton. He's a Conservative, well, for now, former Conservative MP, so the whip suspended, uh, in Blackpool South. He faces a recall petition after being suspended from the Commons after being caught offering to lobby for a fake gambling firm, which is actually undercover reporters from the Times. So uh, if 10% of people in Blackpool South sign the petition, there'll be another by-election. Well, on this, this just tickled me. On BBC's Politics Live yesterday, Tory MP Connor Burns sounded thrilled by the prospect of another by-election. Another by-election, uh, Connor. They seem to be coming round almost every month. That's a statement of obvious fact. <laughs> he was very stupid and he's going to lose his career because of it if his Blackpool constituents back a recall motion. As you say, we'll all go up and see the illuminations and bang on some doors. He's been channeling Jacob Rees-Mogg, hasn't he? He's doing quite a good impersonation. Just uh, it's a statement of fact. They're just coming around more. Yeah, they are. There was a time, we definitely, it's since we've been on air on Times Radio, we did a feature about how we don't get by-elections anymore. Right. They'd, like, dried up because MPs weren't dying, people weren't resigning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't come around anymore. Are we sick of them? Goodness me, no. Love no. by-elections. You love a by-election? Uh, yeah, partly because of my... You know, profession, my job, uh, and they're exciting, they're news, newsworthy, but also because if you're a Democrat, then you've got you mm. you, you, as many elections as possible. I think they're uh, great. I mean, also, they're really good when you're a young journalist. So I started yeah. out in politics as sort of, when I was in my early 20s, I spent my entire time going to by-elections. That's what you did. You kind yeah. of, and actually it got you out and you talked to people. And I think it's great for journalists and for politicians. Yeah. All the politicians have to traipse along there. And then they do hear what people are saying because mm. quite often you're left. And we always talk about this Westminster bubble, but it's great when you have to get out and go and see what's actually happening, isn't it? Take the mood. Vox yeah. pops a go yeah. and go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we like Love those. It. Is it, it's a bit weird, though, isn't it, having all of these just literally months, I mean, in theory, potentially weeks before a general election. Yeah, well, but they've been very bad boys and girls, haven't yeah. they? They're, I mean, it's, mm. the, it's the fag end of a, a long period of Tory government. Uh, did we have the recall petition thing back in the 90s? I don't no. Think we, no, we didn't. No, so, it's I mean, quite a new... Is it a po- I think it's a post-expenses yeah, so, thing. Yes, so new. that's presumably... That's fueling it. Yeah. And we would have had... Plenty more in the old mm. days if if it if it had existed. No, um, I think that I think that's the thing is that people say RMPs getting worse. I think it's actually a sign of the system. Yeah, yeah. Working. You get these. 
you get these scandals. I mean, it goes back to what we were saying earlier about the poor quality of uh, people in public life. Mm. And, uh, yeah. you know... But I find, I mean, I did the Tiverton by-election when they had the, Neil Parrish was, um, mm. had to resign over tractor porn. Oh, but what's interesting to me is that the, quite often it's not what you I think it is. I love the fact that the short had his tractor porn. He wasn't <laughs> looking up sexy tractors. No. <laughs> he, he, we just don't know. We don't know. He did start oh, on the top, tractors. The topless tractor. I think mm. they, yeah. he'd start on Lamborghinis no or something, didn't he? And then it just got worse. Then he got but, tractors and then but he just... the people yep. in Tiverton weren't that worried about the porn. What was interesting is until he got down there, you didn't know what they were. They were worried about dentistry. Dentist, they were worried yeah, about yeah, all these local issues and mm. so it was great to have the by-election to see what they really cared about yeah and then the Lib Dems really learnt that lesson and they've you know, they've replicated that with the mm. dentists and stuff yeah, yeah and sewage is another sewage big is one, one. Yeah, they, yeah. they were obsessed by sewage yeah and the people in Blackpool South are probably not that fussed about the mm. fake gambling firm I mean maybe yeah. some of them yeah. will be uh, but I guess most of them won't be. They'll be more worried about sewage on Blackpool Beach. Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson. And of course, you can read them both in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription at thetimes.co.uk. And of course, if you are a Times subscriber, you'll get the bonus episode of Politics at the Boy Bits every weekend. Up next is PMQ's Unpacked. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. Yes, he's back. He's back. Now, there's only one question we want to know the answer to at PMQ's today. Mm -hmm. Have you finished writing your book? Well, it's now books. Yes, so what's happened? Explain what's happened. So I wrote so much that we're now publishing two books. uh, (laughs) One on the 25th of April and one on the 20th of June. And I'm literally sending the conclusion to book three to my publisher as we sit here. Wow. Um, does that, do you get double the money? No, I do not get double no, the money. I'm disappointing. But, uh, you know, it makes it makes sense. We won't have to cut the good fun stuff. So so where were the, So this is part three of the trilogy. So trilogy. part three... It's like will, the last Harry Potter. It is a bit like that. So the, th- the third book picks up where the second one left off at the end of 2017 with the backstop and does all that amazing stuff of Theresa May fighting Brussels and her cabinet and then Parliament, all the chicanery in the Commons, and concludes with Boris Johnson winning the leadership election. So there's lots of fun Boris chaos at the end of book three. And it ends with him walking through the door, looking to the left and seeing Dominic Cummings standing there. What could possibly go wrong? They created Brexit. She arguably broke it. Now they own it. And book four is all about Boris and then Liz Truss and then Rishi Sunak. Uh, and that will be out in June. Ron got in touch. Ron in Hertfordshire says, uh, Matt, it'll be hugely disappointing if the Honourable Mr Shipman has achieved any more than 52% of his book with a consequent 48% clawback in his advance. But actually, it wasn't, it wasn't that you hadn't finished it. It's that you'd, you'd written too much, not, not too little. Yeah, I mean, you'll, these will be two books of a similar girth to the first two. Um, and had we had to cut it... Um, uh, so it was manageable in one volume. I think we'd have lost quite a lot. So um, uh, good on Harper Collins. Thank you very much. Uh, also in this building, um, yeah, They're great, gonna, great people. We're going <laughs> to exactly. <laughs> Who's your publisher, Matt? Harper Collins. I declare my interest in the register. Uh, what do you think, uh, Keir Starmer? Go on at PM Kiss. Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure. But there's so much comeback, isn't there, on both sides? Mm. There's so much chaos. Um, quite a lot happened in the, in the in three our weeks absence. I've been away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, you know they've both got a lot of ammo to throw at the other. Um, 
Starmer's making U-turns left, right and centre. Um, we've got a recession. Um, we've got, um, you know, I mean, um, my understanding last weekend was that Labour were going to make a big play of going after the Tories on the economy, so I wouldn't be at all surprised yeah. to see some of that today. Um, uh, but, um, you know, what with problems with uh, his candidate in Rochdale and... Um, uh, the, the U-turn that Starmer's done, uh, uh, it's one of those ones where I think it's going to be, it'll be a connoisseur's job for the, for the sort of backbenchers and we'll see which of them can get their own side riled up um, as they have a pop at the other. Um, this should be a lively session, should which be. means it'll be terribly dull and at the end of it we'll be wondering <laughs> what we were talking about. But there's, they've got a lot they they've can chuck at each other. They've got a lot to chuck at each other. Right, here we go then. Uh, this is uh, Keir Starmer. We go live to the House of Commons. Question number one from Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I start by welcoming the new member for Wellingborough and the new member for Kingswood? I know they will both be powerful advocates for their constituents. On on a more sombre note, Mr Speaker, can I join with the Prime Minister? I was glad to hear what he just had to say, because I'm sure the whole House will join me in sharing our disgust at the death of Alexei Navalny who, as the Prime Minister said, died because of his efforts to expose the corruption of the Putin regime. It is a reminder that Putin has stolen not just the wealth, but also the future and democracy of the Russian people. Mr Speaker, would the Prime Minister be prepared personally to repeat the allegation made by his business secretary that the former chair of the post office is lying when he says he was told to go slow on compensation for postmasters and limp to the next election. Mr Mr. Speaker, as the Business Secretary said on Monday, she asked Henry Staunton to step down after serious concerns were raised. She set out the reasons for this and the full background in the House earlier this week. But importantly, we have also taken unprecedented steps to ensure that victims of the Horizon scandal do receive compensation as swiftly as possible and in full, making sure that victims receive justice and compensation remains our number one priority, and we will shortly bring forward legislation to address this matter soon. So this is quite, a, um, you know, one of the, the Prime Minister's weaknesses uh, today is this row between Henry Staunton, former chairman of the Post Office, and the Business Secretary, Kerry Badenoch, all slightly unedifying on all sides. Yeah, there's, um, they've both been out um, stating their case with a degree of aggression. Um, I mean, you, you know, when we say this is sort of... <laughs> competitive leaks but there's nothing leaking about it it's full-blown briefing and um yeah Kemi Badenoch is someone who takes um uh nuclear weapons to a pillow fight um and she <laughs> seems to have done that uh, in this case and Mr Staunton is not taking it lying down um my sense from that is that Rishi Sinek would quite like this all to go away it's all been dealt with they've laid out their cases yes I mean uh, and also down. Rishi Sunak will know that um were he to so much as trip on uh paving stone outside the House of Commons, Kemi Bedenock would be um, all over it and trying to replace him. So, you know, there ain't a great deal of love lost there. She's a pretty punchy character, you know. I mean, we'd heard when she first joined the Cabinet, she kept turning up late, which, you know, because she thought her time was more important than the Prime Minister's. And uh, I don't think there's a, you know, I don't think... The used... warmth of feeling from number 10 towards her is pretty uh, pretty marginal. She used a uh, two or 3,000-word interview in the uh, 
Saturday magazine and the Times a couple of weeks ago to play down any speculation of elitism. Yes, the best way to do that is always to do a Saturday interview with the Times. Yes. Um, nothing to see here. No. Over here, nothing to see here. <laughs> nothing to see here in a variety of outfits. Yes. Um, a wide-ranging interview, we used to call it. Now, let's see uh, where Keir Starmer goes with this next. Does he try to tie it all up, as we were sort of speculating earlier, that you could sort of pull together, you know, the guy from the Immigration and Borders, you know, is there a problem with this government falling out with people rowing agencies and that sort of thing? Um, if you are trying to watch along on the, on the YouTubes, the YouTubes seem not to be working. Uh, so you'll just have to listen to us on the radio, um, and we'll we'll try and try and pull the yogurt pots and string a bit tighter, and hope that all, that, that might start working at some point. But yeah, we do know it's not working. You could just listen on the radio. Let's go back to the House of Commons now. Question number two from Keir Starmer. I'm not sure that takes us very much further forward. So so let me let me press on, because on Monday, the business secretary also confirmed categorically that the pro that the post office was, and I'll, I'll quote this in fairness to the prime minister. Uh, at no point told to delay compensation payments by either an official or a minister from any government department, and at no point was it suggested that a delay would be of benefit to the Treasury. So that's Monday. A note released by the former post office chair this morning appears, appears to directly contradict that. And I appreciate... I appreciate the business. This really matters to the people who've been at the heart. I, I appreciate that the business secretary has put the prime minister in a tricky position, but but will he commit to investigating this matter properly, including whether that categorical statement was correct and why, rather than taking those accusations seriously, she accused a whistleblower of lying. Mr Speaker, it is worth bearing in mind that, as the Business Secretary said on Monday, she asked Henry Staunton to step down after serious concerns were raised. But this is, on a matter of substance, one of the greatest miscarriages of justice in our nation's history, because people who were working hard serving their communities had their lives and reputations destroyed, and that's why we are working hard to ensure that they get justice and compensation, and that's why we established Sir Wynne Williams' inquiry. It's why we've already paid out over £150 million of compensation to almost 3,000 victims, and it's why we will introduce new legislation shortly to exonerate those. We will make sure that we do what is needed, that the truth does come to light, we right the wrongs of the past, and crucially, that victims get the justice that they deserve. Again, I mean, this is, I thought like we were in Keir Starmer barrister mode here. Yes, and he seems to want to legislate the detail of it, which is difficult publicly because the detail is complicated and um, it's also not going to get you a very interesting answer in the chamber. Um, and Sunak is very much in, I hear what you say, brackets, I know she's a nightmare as well, um, <laughs> but I don't want to talk about it. So what I'm going to talk about at, frankly, quite great length is, is, is the actual substance the of the issue and how we're going to yeah, deal yeah, with yeah. this and the miscarriage of justice. And, you know, perhaps he hopes if he talks for a very long time that um, he'll take the steam out of it and use up um, a large proportion of his uh, time in PMQs. Um, but, yeah, this is one where Starmer is sort of nipping at his heels like a little Jack Russell um, and uh, Sunak sort of kicking his leg in a kind of trying not to kick too hard but in a sort of um, 
yeah, um, I've got this other Jack Russell on my other leg. You better think about that, old son. I mean, cause, because clearly, whatever the rights and wrongs uh, that Kerry Bader not think she's she's operating on, I mean, all it, all this is actually doing is highlighting the fact that the government hasn't paid still out hasn't paid the money exactly. Which, given that that's where the public anger is, yes, uh, nobody gives two hoots who Henry Stoltz and all Kerry Bader not are. The public want the sub postmasters wrongfully convicted to get the compensation. That is correct. Um, and so from that point of view, it sort of works for Starmer, but it's not working rhetorically or um, in terms of yeah. making me excited. Well, here's something exciting, Tim. The YouTubes are working. Yay! Well, now, well, now live on the YouTubes. They've, they've put another 50p in the metre. Faces. Uh, so it's, uh, it's somebody said, I see that the MOD are running Times Radio. I think, you know, we, we, we briefly went plop in the sea and now we're back and we're up and running. Yes, and, and there's nothing wrong with the nuclear deterrent. No, it's there's nothing. It's very reliable. It's all completely... It's all it briefly didn't fine. work, but now it is working. But now it does work Yeah, it's again. completely fine. Very yeah. good. Uh, right, let's go back to the House of Commons there. This is question number three from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, I do hope the Prime Minister will instigate that um, investigation into what was said on Monday because one of the features of this miscarriage is that where concerns have been raised, they've been pushed to one side. Um, And this this week we also learned that a 2016 investigation into whether post office branch accounts could be altered was suddenly stopped before it was completed. Now, had that investigation revealed that they could be altered which we now know to be the case, the livelihoods of those wrongly prosecuted could have been saved. What did government ministers know about it at the time? Mr Speaker, the Leader of the Opposition has picked one particular date, but it is worth bearing in mind that this scandal... Hang on. This scandal has unfolded over decades, Mr Speaker, and it was actually following a landmark 2019 High Court case that the previous government established a statutory inquiry led by Sir Wynne Williams, which is uncovering exactly what went wrong, Mr Speaker, and it is right that that inquiry is allowed to do its work. But also, Mr Speaker, following the High Court case, the government established an independent advisory board, established not one but three different compensation schemes, and as as of now, over two-thirds of people have received full and final offers, because what we are focused on is making sure that the victims get the justice and the compensation that they deserve. Right. Um, just when we thought it couldn't get any any knottier, uh, Keir Thomas is saying, I noticed he hasn't said that he'll instigate that investigation into what was said on Monday. Well, that was off the back of the previous <laughs> question. And then we dive further into the, the depths and the weeds um, with who knew what. And again, the question was, what did ministers know about this? I mean... We know you're, what ministers know. It came out, was it yesterday or the day before? Yes, it was a, but it's uh, also not something where you're going to get a sort of useful answer, is it? No. You either know what they what they knew and you're just trying to sort of um, embarrass them or you don't know what they knew and they're not going to tell you. Uh, sort of pointless, open-ended uh, question, really. And given that there's quite a lot to go out, this seems like a, it's a very low It's a bit niche, energy. isn't it? So this is the story that uh, the BBC revealed uh, that the... David Cameron's government knew the post office had dropped the secret investigation that might have helped the wrongfully accused postmasters prove their innocence earlier, because this is the whole idea that could you go into the back of the Horizon IT system. Um, uh, Rishi Sinek talked about the previous government uh, in 2019. Was that the one when he was the Chancellor of the Exchequer? 
That'd be the one. Yeah. Uh, and then um, he talked about not one but three different compensation schemes, as if that was a good thing. We've got not one but three. Whereas actually the sub-postmasters have complained that actually... They just want one They just want one and, and they just want it to pay some out. some money. Yeah. But apart from that, I mean, um, weirdly knotty questions producing underwhelming answers. That's where we are so far. You had well, such high it, hopes, Tim. This is the half time, though. Yeah, that's true. And let's hope it's a game of two halves. The big halves. gear shift is about to take place. Well, it might be. Yeah. I got this sense of a sort of valedictory tone from Starmer there. Maybe he's just trying to win some brownie points with his uh, front bench, and now he'll come out swinging. Maybe. Uh, somebody says, Simon on the YouTube says, think Matt and Tim might be missing the point. This is a way for Starmer to take out not just Sunak, but his likely successor, Badenoch. Was it, take us out. I mean, sending everyone to sleep is probably more. If, if I'm not sure he's managed to do that, is it? Well, it's a good point. You could could go after Kami Bader, not, but I, I don't feel like she's harmed. I think, it, I think I'll have plenty of opportunities no, to do that. <laughs> no careers have yet been harmed in the making of this PMQ. So let's go back to the House of Commons. This is question number four from Keir Starmer. Mr. Speaker, this uh, information about 2016 has just come to light. I think this week, which is precisely why I'm asking about it. Exactly. Consider. Considering the Prime Minister's Foreign Secretary was running the government in 2016, and one of the Prime Minister's current Cabinet Office Ministers was the Post Office Minister, has he thought to ask either of them what they knew in 2016? No, no, no Mr Speaker. We did, we, did the, we, did, we did the right thing, which was to set up an independent statutory inquiry. It would have, it, that is the right way to resolve this issue. It's the right way to get victims the truth and the answers that they demand. But this government is getting on get, getting them the compensation that they rightly deserve. Well, there's an interesting question about that as to whether or not they are getting on with getting the uh, getting the compensation. I mean, Starmer did sort of he got he got a minor concession there, didn't he? Yeah. Have you asked David Cameron about all of this? Uh, no, I've left that to the statutory inquiry. So uh, that. Um, it was one of those sentences where the the big reveal was sort of Sunak so just went no and then blah, 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 blah. Who the no was quite important. Who was the cabinet office minister? The the current cabinet office minister who is now who was the post office minister and is now at the cabinet office. That's a good pub quiz question. It is. And I'm I can't I, I was mm. fearful you were going to ask that. Who could I'm it be? Honest. Uh Sunak, Dowden. Could have been Dowden, I guess. Get down and John Glenn, Johnny Mercer, could be any number of them. Steve Baker, Nuzrak Ghani, Esther McVeigh. Well, Esther McVeigh, she was a, she was certainly at business, wasn't she? Yeah. Let us know. I mean, this is a good. It was while away the time. If you think you know who who was the post office minister at the time, is now at the cabinet office. You can WhatsApp us 0333-003-2353. The fun just keeps on coming. Let's go back to the House of Commons. Question number five. Mr Speaker, as we all know, the Horizon scandal left people isolated, their livelihoods lost, their lives ruined. Some died without ever getting the justice that they deserve. Fears of delay, Prime Minister, or cover-up are causing them anguish. And yesterday, Chris Head, uh, once accused by the post office of owing more than £80,000, he said this uh, yesterday. There is a lack of transparency. We need to see the correspondence between the post office, the department and UKGI, because all of the time, everything gets shrouded in secrecy. This is his words. Have some respect, please. He's a victim. Now, I appreciate the inquiry is ongoing, but as the Prime Minister knows, and so do I, so does the whole House, that does not 
provide a reason why he can't draw a line under this, give postmasters like Chris the peace of mind they need, and release all of the correspondence that he wants to see. Will he now do so? Mr. Mr Speaker, as I said, this is one of the greatest miscarriages of justice in our country's history. I don't think it's not one I don't think that the Leader of the Opposition ever raised with me over these exchanges over the past year. But we are working hard to get victims not just the answers but the compensation they deserve. But we do now have a statutory inquiry led by Sir Wynne Williams, who has the powers to get access to all the documentation that he requires, speak to everybody that he needs to. That is the right and proper way to get the truth that the victims deserve. But in the meantime, we are not wasting a moment to get victims the compensation they deserve, and the legislation will be before the House shortly. I mean, we need to raise our energy here because they're not. We can't expect people to listen to this and say that this is... Look, this is a very exciting deep dive into a very important public issue. Yeah. But it is not what I was expecting. No, of all the things. And Within Star- the last seven days, Britain went into recession. Correct. Well, it, well we learnt that... Britain we learnt had, it was... We, yeah, we, we found that Britain had gone yeah, into recession uh, in the last six months. The, prime the, the, go- the governing parties lost two by-elections. Correct. And another one coming because of an MP who wanted to sell uh, cash for questions. And the leader of the opposition has done a massive U-turn on one of his central policies and uh, has suffered... Um, uh, which Huge one, embarrassment. Which policy are we talking about here? On, on, no, no. Well, I well I meant on the um, uh, the net zero. Oh, net zero. Yeah, net zero. And yeah. then you know is under huge pressure on Gaza, partly as a response to things that the candidate he's got in another winnable by election said, and has now been disowned. And we've heard none of any of this, um, which is somewhat curious. And if I'm Sunak, I'm sitting there with probably five punchy answers to Keir Starmer and I've not been able to use any of them. Maybe that's the point. Maybe this is the genius of Starmer's approach. Just make no news. Make no news. Render yourself completely irrelevant to the national conversation. And do not give Sunak any opportunity to land any blows on any of the stuff that he's presumably absolutely champing at the bit to to do. I completely changed my mind. This is genius from Starmer. Mike says, PMQs featuring Sinek and Starmer are typically dry affairs, but even by their standards, this is on the dry side. This is desiccated. Uh, um, I've I've got one bit of news. I've worked out who the minister was. Ah, Was the post office minister in 2016, now at the cabinet office, Baroness Neville Rolfe. But of course, Pauline Neville Rolf. There you go. See, embarrassed not to know who it was. You used to, to work for Tesco's, that. did you? Yeah. There we are. Well, there we go, Britain. <sighs> right. But you're glad you tuned in now. <laughs> so good to have you back, Tim. Uh, right, with with a sense of grim inevitability, let's go back to the House of Commons. Um, don't worry, it'll all be over soon. Uh, this is question. But number how so- can Sunak turn a banal question into a? Punchy counter-attacking answer on all the I stuff. I think he's going to say this is just typical of him. I've already told him there's nothing to this. Yes. Uh, why and hasn't he asked more? me about this? <laughs> why hasn't he asked me about that? Because he's all over the place. He doesn't have a plan, and he would take us back to square one. Let's go back to the Commons. It's question number six from Kistower. In recent decades, there've been numerous scandals that have left shaken public faith in our institutions, and rebuilding that confidence will require those affected to see that politicians are being honest with them and to believe it. Just like the postmasters, victims of the infected blood scandal have been subject to unimaginable trauma during their search for justice. 
So can the Prime Minister put their minds at ease and tell the House what undertakings he has made to ensure the government is not limping to the election on payments that they are owed by the British state? Mr Speaker, when it comes to the inflected blood scandal, as I've said before, I'm acutely aware of the strength of feeling on this issue and the suffering of all those who were impacted by this dreadful scandal. I gave evidence to the inquiry myself last year and, as I said then, I recognise that thousands have suffered for decades. As he knows, there is an independent inquiry. The Minister for the Cabinet Office... The Minister for the Cabinet Office, because this is an incredibly complex issue, as he well knows, updated Parliament with the latest government position just before the Christmas (laughs) recess, announced that the Cabinet Office was appointing an expert group of clinical, legal and social care experts, so it had the relevant expertise to make informed decisions responding to the inquiry's recommendations on compensation when they come, and confirmed that the Department for Health will implement a fully bespoke cycle psychological service for people infected and affected. We have also committed to providing an update to to Parliament on next steps through an oral statement within 25 sitting days of the publication of the final report. But I'll end where I began. This is a deeply awful scandal and we will do what we need to to make it right. Well, I mean, I mean it's an important perfect, point. a perfectly competent answer and apparently relatively heartfelt. But um, I, I mean, I'm just genuinely sort of staggered. I th- and I think they must have taken a strategic decision to avoid knockabout. Um, and you know, people are sort of writing in and saying, "Hey, does Starmer know something?" I mean, we know all sorts of things about both of these scandals, and the money hasn't arrived yet. And that's a problem. But where you would normally expand that as the leader of the opposition is to say, this is a government that's all talk and no trousers, keeps telling us it's doing things when it isn't, um, and is a sort of shambolically incompetent when it comes to delivery. You could have made, you could have broadened out the kind of general argument that he's making here well, into a sort of broader political point. I thought didn't. when he moved on to the blood scar, there's that you could have done a whole thing on well, you, compensation schemes. Yes, there could, are lo- There was a story in the papers but, yesterday about the compensation for people in the Navy who were gay and were sacked because of their sexuality. Their due compensation, I was watching on our yeah, local could have news. done two or three questions on, on Postmasters and then There's just brought in three or four others. out this week on yeah. Windrush and how that compensation yeah. scheme isn't working. Um, uh, there was a story, I think, last week on uh, compensation for victims of vaginal mesh. You could put them whole, all together um, into this... You said that very quickly, is, but you could have put them all together into, yeah. you know, no, no, victims quite. here, victims there, victims everywhere, and you're not paying out the money. Because, is it because, in the words of one of your own uh, officials, you were dragging your feet in the countdown to, a, to an election? Well, there's that. Or is it because there's no money? Because yeah. we've gone into, we went into, we went a, into a recession, recession, Prime Minister. I do wonder there's if you're right, There's a lot though, of different ways the that re- they could have done this. One reason for doing this is because uh, Keir Starmer's got as much trouble in his inbox as Rishi Sunak has. He's twenty-eight billion pounds. Uh, the um, his uh, well, citizens' assemblies we discovered this week came and went in the space of twenty-four hours. Uh, the backbench trouble on, uh, on on the Middle East. That actually, by doing this, what he hasn't done is given Rishi Sunak a free. There's hit. There's no free hit quotes. Yeah. There's nothing all over the TV at six o'clock. Yeah. There's nothing in the papers in the morning about any of this, I suspect. Uh, Shall we listen to some of the questions that our listeners wanted to ask? 
Yes. Instead, maybe these maybe these would have been better. Uh, where we start? Right, we are, um, so we've been asking for. If you want to WhatsApp us, o triple three double o three two three five three. That's o triple three double o three two three five three. Send us your WhatsApp voice notes. What would you have asked at PMQs? This is I now call Dan Stirring. Dear Prime Minister, please can you hang on calling election till as late as possible so I can afford my children's school fees? Nice toadying question there from Dan. Very good. Uh, now we call Eddie. Eddie from the uh, seat of Corby here. I'd like to know what the right diminutive gentleman is going to do about the potholes everywhere. Mate, I can't drive anywhere in this town without falling down the pothole the size of a lorry. I'd like to see I'd like the word mate to be used more at PMQs. More yeah. Yes, the right honourable mate. Um, well, I'm sure he dispatched Jonathan Gullis to look at the potholes. Anyone who follows Twitter will know that uh, there's a lot of pictures of Gullis pointing and pointing staring at potholes. Pot pot it's, it's one of the best subcultures on Twitter. <laughs> at the uh, I now call Matt. Hello, Mr Prime Minister. This is Matt from Northumberland. I'd be interested to know, given that the writing is on the wall for the next election, what sort of uh, high-end um, board-level appointments have you got lined up for yourself <laughs> post-election? I mean, you, you could see a backbench opposition MP doing that, couldn't you? Yeah, exactly. That's a sort of Stephen Pound would have asked yeah, a question yeah, yeah. like that and back be, in the day. What could he say to that? Uh, well, he could just flannel about. And, and then say, well, I'm going to win the election, so it doesn't matter. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, right, very good. You know, we're here to win. You know, I'm committed to this country. And all rumours that I've been having private conversations with tech bosses in California uh, about running um, venture capital schemes yeah. to do with artificial intelligence are complete nonsense. There we are. Um, is this very specific better? load of complete Listen, nonsense yeah, there. Let's see yeah, whether... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, this is much better. Listeners asking questions than you pretending what the Prime Minister will reply. Uh, I now call Dave. My question for the Prime Minister is, with all your MPs jumping ship, I wonder if the Prime Minister might consider volunteering for the next lifeboat. I'm very committed to the people of Richmond, um, where I love the pork pies, and I can describe in great detail the shops that I go to, um, frequenting the local community. Um, no plans to go anywhere. Were they at war with the lifeboats, or was that something that Keir Starmer said that it turned out not to entirely hold water, as it were? I can't remember. No. It was a, lifeboats became a culture war thing for five minutes. Well, very good. That's. Um, uh, I think, actually, it turns out all of our listeners can ask better questions. Than, uh, than the actual leader of the opposition. Well, I then the apologize. suspicion must the suspicion must be that the leader of the opposition chose not to ask. Good I think that's probably today. quite right. Um, uh, Phil, this is one of the best WhatsApp so far. Phil says, uh, "Desperate to think I stopped plumbing a bath to listen to this." <laughs> uh, Harry yeah. says, uh, "Thank you, Matt. I was so grateful you weren't able to get me into PMQs. Enjoy my walk in the pouring rain much more." So, Harry. Um, uh, got in touch and said he was in London. Could I get him into PMQs? And I had to explain, well, no, because I'm not there, not doing this. And it turns out he's walking in the rain instead. Uh, Antonio says, the public uh, say, we hate the shouting in Yarbo of PMQs. Why can't they just answer the questions? Also, the public, PMQs are so boring. These guys are boring. Where's the shouting in Yarbo? It's a good point, but, you know, it's an opportunity for the uh, leader of the opposition to mount a political argument. And um, he's chosen not to. We can read that what we will. Uh, Tim Shipman, you got it wrong. It's Lucy Neville Rolfe, not Pauline. Oh, there is a Pauline Neville Rolfe, though, isn't there? 
Wow. There's a Pauline Neville Jones. Ah, oh, you've got your Lady Neville's modelled up. I've got them. I'm in the right pickle. Apologies, listeners. There we go. Uh, there we are. It's good. It's good. To, you know, it's good to, good to keep things accurate. Adam says my tropical fish have more direction and purpose than this lot. So I hope that back. refers to the politicians rather than the analysts. Uh, and then uh, Howie says, I'm absolutely convinced that Keir Starmer is determined to eliminate PMQs in the public consciousness. He's so utterly boring and useless at it, he's ruining it for me. Uh, but don't worry, though. Don't worry. It's not just all about Keir Starmer. We've got the back bench questions, the best of the rest. Lara Spirit is here. <laughs> what was it like, Lara? It was brilliant. Yay! Ish. Come on, bring some energy. Come on, let's bring some energy. <laughs> we were feeling very lethargic. I feel like I've just had a big roast. <laughs> And crumble. It That's the sort of level of energy. I it mean. wasn't that good, though, was no. it? No, no. I mean, no. That's true. I, yeah. I, I mean, feel I mean, like we've post. been robbed of a batter pudding. This uh, Lara, where are we going first? We are going, unsurprisingly, to Stephen Flynn, the Westminster leader. This is his second question. Uh, unsurprisingly, uh, on this question of a ceasefire in Gaza. Right, Mr. Speaker. Tonight, this House will have the opportunity to join with the majority of the international community and say that enough yeah. mm-hmm. is enough, that the yeah. killing in Gaza must stop and that the hostages must be released. And the best way to do that is to send a clear and united message that we back an immediate ceasefire. Surely all of us, irrespective of our political allegiance, can agree on that very issue. Mr. Mr. Speaker, of course we want to see the fighting in Gaza end as soon as possible and never again allow Hamas to carry out the appalling terrorist attacks that Israel was subject to. But he talks about the UN resolution, but just calling for an immediate full ceasefire now, which collapses back into fighting within days or weeks, is not in anyone's interest, Mr Speaker. We must work towards a permanent ceasefire, and that's why the right approach is the approach that we've set out and the United States have set out in their resolution, which is for an immediate humanitarian pause to get hostages out and aid in so that we then can create the conditions for a sustainable ceasefire. And in the meantime, we're doing everything we can to increase the amount of humanitarian humanitarian aid that we bring into Gaza, something I discussed with the King of Jordan last week, and we will have more updates in the coming days of more airdrops into Gaza, but also just in the last couple of days have managed to deliver family tents into Gaza, which are providing much-needed shelter for very vulnerable people. So, quite a lot of words there from Rishi Sunak, but actually making the more substantive point that whatever happens in the House of Commons tonight is not going to change the situation on the ground where things are, are terrible for both the Israeli hostages and you know, millions of people who live in Gaza. And I think setting out the government position um, in a bit more detail that defence um, against calling for an immediate ceasefire on the grounds that anything that collapses back into infighting, in his words, within days or weeks is not in anyone's interest. I think uh, listening to that will have been, of course, Keir Starmer, uh, who is known to have been resistant to changing uh, Labour's position, to diverging from uh, the government's position and uh, now presenting a divided front to Western allies. So I think having Rishi Sunak stated in the House uh, there, I think, will focus some minds. Um, Tim, how big a political story is this? I mean, clearly it was it was notable the other day, uh, well, not the other day, last time this motion came forward and 
dozens of Labour MPs to fire the whip and Keir Starmer lost 10 front benches. I mean, ultimately, is it going to make any difference to Keir Starmer's chance of becoming Prime Minister? I think probably no is the answer to, to that question. But at the same time, it um, has an impact in two ways. I think um, this is an emblematic issue now for so many people, particularly as we're seeing with some of these by-elections um, with the, the Muslim vote in some of these towns. That's a big deal. I mean, I guess it's possible it could affect the outcome of a few seats. Um, Labour support amongst that community is uh, obviously dropping um, over the, the last few weeks. Um, but um, it's also become a classic sort of Westminster um, argument that has literally zero bearing on the events concerned and the... It's just we run a sort of Rwanda amendment, so you just change the word, you know, Rwanda to Gaza, and it's know, just the I same... Mean, I don't want to, you know, belittle um, uh, the effect on either side of this, and there are obviously points on both sides, as there always are in the Middle East, but this is just a Westminster talking shop load of nonsense, frankly. Um, it makes no difference to British policy, as Sunak has made clear, and it makes absolutely no difference to either the people of Gaza or the people of Israel, what the House of Commons has to say about this matter. And yet the heat and bad feeling that is generated mm. can have quite the knock-on effect in terms of internal party dynamics and, uh, and the rest of it. And I think much more has much more impact internally than it probably does um, with the public at large, um, who have a pretty pragmatic view of all this, which is that terrorists shouldn't go around slaughtering innocent people and um, uh, people shouldn't then in response um, uh, go and kill a lot of innocent children. Um, it's not... It's, it's not a difficult position to share both of those things, but in Westminster, you appear to have to take one side or the other. Yeah, I was um, speaking to a shadow minister yesterday who said it felt heat-wise within the Labour Party similar to in 2016 and that the fear among some of their colleagues was that uh, the heat would just rise so much that there'd be just so much pressure on them and people wouldn't be feeling um, hugely safe and it wouldn't be the best place to be having uh, a debate like this. I think you heard just then as well, uh, did you hear of Flynn, someone shouting, you're dividing us, you're dividing us, mm. the SNP coming under some pressure now for why when the Labour amendment bears such close resemblance to the SNP one, they want to push forward uh, with this vote anyway. Um, on to the second one. Can I move on yeah, to our yeah. next question? Um, this is Siobhan Bailey, the uh, Conservative MP. It's an interesting question because it touches uh, in part on this question of uh, deep fakes and digital accuracy and safety. Of course, uh, CCHQ, the uh, campaign wing of the Conservative Party has been under some flack for that uh, slightly edited clip of Sadiq Khan last week where uh, he misspoke, uh, but his correction was not uh, included in the, the clip that was... Which became uh, a, an issue on Sunday morning, Friday morning, Saturday morning. Callum, uh, Callum MacDonald uh, speaking this, to yeah. uh, Richard Holden and said, you edited the clip, and he said, no, it was clipped, not edited. And Callum said, I work in radio. I work in radio, I know. <laughs> I work in audio movie. production, was how he so very gladly <laughs> described whatever it is that we're doing. Anyway, let's go to the House Commons and take a listen. Mr Speaker, yeah, yeah. Now, we've legislated to give the public ID verification options on social media. Tech companies know the safety value and popularity of this because they <laughs> offer it now, but for a big fee every month, and it's not good enough. Bereaved parents are campaigning for more measures to protect kids online. Fraudsters are routinely exploiting fake social media accounts to scam, and fears of global political interference in elections from faceless, traceless bots are creating 
the perfect cyber storm. Will my right honourable friend use his influence to get tech companies to get on with offering robust, visible and free verification measures as soon as possible to keep people safe? Well, can I start by commending my honourable friend for her work on this issue? And she's absolutely right that user verification can be a powerful tool to keep people safe online. The Online Safety Act, as she knows, requires companies to offer all adults optional user identity verification. Companies will also need to take firm action to improve safety for children in particular, and Ofcom will be able to monitor tech companies and have strong powers to ensure they comply. Uh, But I can tell her that the Home Secretary is meeting with the industry on Monday next week and be sure to raise the points that she has mentioned today. Uh, Interesting, that. Yeah, it's, I think, a very live question, given that it's uh, election year. And there was a photo uh, that was circulating, I think it was just today, of Keir Starmer with Jimmy Savile, which was not a real photo. It was a fake photo. Uh, I think they transposed Jimmy Savile onto a a picture of Keir Starmer with Gordon Brown or something like that. But this is definitely something that we're seeing with increasing frequency. And it seems like Cleverly is going to raise this come next week and that hopefully we might see some sort of regulation or solutions to why this keeps coming up with increasing frequency. Very good. Very good. Anything else? Uh, we've got John Hayes. One. Should you like him? Oh, John Hayes. <laughs> Friend of the show. Friend of the show. Friend of uh, Suella Braverman. Yes. The, he, the, the power behind the throne. He. Uh, the last time he was on, he accused me of being part of the establishment and then uh, conceded that I wasn't. So That sounds like exactly the kind of stoic kind of, uh, <laughs> determination which has seen John Hayes become a very important figure. Big fan of hedgehogs. Life. Is this about hedgehogs? I'm afraid it's not about hedgehogs. But he spoke have to me listen. at some length. The last time I was in Portcullis House, he spoke to me at some length about his love of hedgehogs. Does he have hedgehogs? Yeah. We don't have time to go into it now. As long as we don't have British time, we've got a very important question to get yeah. into. He, um, he's got a little metal ornamental hedgehog on a chain which he keeps in his jacket pocket and pulls it out. <laughs> Okay, well, here he is talking about... It's a good luck charm um, that got him to the cabinet and yeah. made him foreign secretary or yeah. something. Great, well, we've got him with some William Blake now, so have a Great, listen. of course it is. John Hayes. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Britain's food security, compromised by cheap foreign imports, now faces a parallel threat. All kinds of industrialisation in the countryside, from large solar plants to interconnectors and substations, and now to huge pylons covering 87 miles of countryside. These will blot the landscape and use up valuable growing land, filling the Fenland big skies. Knowing that his bow burns with gold, like my own, will he ensure that he joins my fight for our green and pleasant land and make sure that food security and energy security are not competitors? My... uh my honourable friend raises an, an excellent point about our food security. We have taken steps that he has uh, supported the government in doing to protect prime agricultural land from large-scale solar developments, which I know will be warmly welcomed. Uh, but also, our announcements this week at the NFU conference demonstrate our support to increase our country's food security, backing farmers with more funding, enhancing their productivity to produce great British food, all of that, as he knows, and including our green and pleasant land, we put at risk by the party opposite. Not only do they not want to back our farmers, they also, they also want to impose top-down planning targets, which would concrete over the countryside that he and I both love. It was like someone took a load of sort of jingoistic nonsense and fell it into an AI bot. Just 
Just fit, like, sp- then spat it out. Is he now against electric pylons? I don't know, but I mean, you know, I've heard Rishi Sunak talk about interconnectors and the need to, you know, actually link up um, uh, all the new uh, energy generation with the communities that need it and how important that infrastructure is. And I believe Downing Street boasting greatly that the last budget made that um, more straightforward. And here we are pandering to John Hayes. John Hayes. I mean, obviously, Richmond, North Yorkshire is a green and pleasant land. Uh, just I was as, there only last week. It's very nice. I mean, as someone who grew up in Lincolnshire, um, Mr Hayes represents the flat southern part of it, mm. that there are more green and pleasant parts of this nation um, than that. <laughs> then are you coming out against I grew up on, uh, uh, No, I grew up on the, the, the hilly bit in the middle. Oh, right. um, and we would go down to the sort of barren wastes of Holland and the Deepings. To look at the hedgehogs. Um, and think what would really jazz this place up would be some wind farms or some pylons, yeah. frankly. Um, but there we go. Anyway, I slightly uh, jest. Mr Hayes is fighting for his constituents as only he can. Quite right, um, too. Quite and the, but interesting, though, that the Prime Minister feels the need to sort of pander along yeah, instead yeah, of saying, yeah. shut up, you silly little man. <laughs> Which is what he'd like to have said oh, to John so Hayes at many, the podcast, at many times over the last <laughs> yeah, year. Well, well, there we are. Well, thank you for that, Lara. That, was, uh, big that was great. Really good. Come on, we need to, come on, we need to pick up the energy levels. Come on. I thought I had. <laughs> you have a bit. You have a bit. Uh, right, very good. That brings us to the end of PMQ's Unpacked. And thank goodness for that. Uh, what time is the email we out? Lara, it won't take you long to write, will it? Oh, 3pm. 3pm. Perhaps before. Oh, go on. Lara's, quarter two. Lara's <laughs> I reckon you'll pull it. I'll in pull your it inboxes. Off. In your inboxes, Lara Spirit. As, as a time subscriber, just go to the times.co.uk forward slash red box and you can have Lara's analysis of the last 45 minutes. Should you need it. And that's all we've got time for on the podcast today. Don't forget you can email me, Matt, at times.radio with your thoughts, complaints, or general musings on the world. Or you can WhatsApp me, 033-003-2353, if you want to send a voice note sort of question thing, and you might hear it on a future episode of the podcast. But for now, for me, Matt Trolley, it's goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.